G'day, g'day, welcome. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Lovely to have your company here on the EFTM podcast. Trevor Long with you, talking all things lifestyle, technology, cars, whatever it is. In fact, we've got a fun show today, and it talks very interesting topics and uh, stuff that uh, might not be familiar uh, on this very show. Uh, I've got a bunch of calls to get through, as always, talking about everything from connectivity to calling your loved ones um, and other tech questions. Um I'm also going to talk cars in a big way because I'm driving something very special. I'm driving a car that's not for sale to the general public but is being sold in Australia. That's a bit strange, isn't it? Eh? That's a bit of a cryptic one. Um, it's, it's a hydrogen fuel cell car. Now, it's from Hyundai and I'm a touch confused by it. I won't lie. The whole concept of a hydrogen fuel cell is not one I'm familiar with. So I want to understand what it is, why hydrogen, and what we all need to learn about it. Um, so that's what we're going to do um, with uh, with Scott Naga from Hyundai. And uh, we'll get a real sense of why I'm driving a Nexus and why you need to know about it. Um, so it could be a big, big player in the future of transport in Australia. Not this car, but this technology. So Scott Naga, the uh, Senior Manager for Future Mobility and Government Relations at Hyundai, will join me. Um, a little later on, I'll um, give you uh, more information about our car giveaway. We actually have, uh, not because it's linked, but anyway, Hyundai i30 Active EFTM Edition to give away. It's a $30,000 car, and it could be yours for free. And in fact, because you're listening to this podcast you'll get more chances to win than the average Joe. And that's a win. That's a win for podcast listeners. So I'm pumped about that. I'll uh, bring you that information as we rock into the show. But the other thing I want to do today is I want to indulge and talk about Lego Masters. Now, Lego Masters, one hell of a popular show. Um, It's about to enter its third season on Channel 9. Um, and if you haven't seen it, do jump on a 9 now and do the catch-up. It's a great show for families, kids and parents to watch together. Anyone of all ages can watch. Really cool stuff. Um, but most importantly, I'm going to talk to Brickman. Ryan McNaught will be on the show and he is going to give us his thoughts on Lego, um, what he does and um, how it came about for him and uh, a little bit of insight into Lego Masters Season number three. So all of that coming up. This is the EFTM podcast. If you want to get in touch, if you've got a tech question or a car question or any sort of question, you can go to the website, EFTM.com, and you can click Ask Trev. Uh, You'll be able to contact me that way, nice and easy. Uh, And as I said, later on, you'll get a chance to uh, help get yourself towards an extra 15 entries in the EFTM. Win a car giveaway. That's right. I got a car. It's downstairs in the garage. I'm going to give it away. It's worth 30 grand. Could be yours. Are you pumped? I am. Bloody excited. Can't wait. This is the EFTM podcast. Thank you for listening. If you've got a tech question or a question about anything that we talk about on the show, just go to the website eftm.com. Click on Ask Trev. G'day, Stuart. Hello, Trevor. How are you? Yeah, real good, mate. What can I do for you? 
Yeah, so um, just having a few issues at home at the moment with um, sort of Wi-Fi and, and uh, internet connection, that sort of thing. So at home, basically got three people. Um, I'm spending a lot of time on Gran Turismo PS4 um, <laughs> in a nice uh, truck racer rig I've all put together. Some Planetag gears, pretty cool. Nice. Uh, yeah, and uh, my son's playing Rocket League at a few different games. My wife's um, on Netflix a fair bit. And um, we're just using a... Um, Aussie broadband standard router they gave us. Um, but just been noticing a few disconnects lately. Um, and just sort of got me wondering, I know there's a million things up and down the line that could cause issues, but yeah. um, just was wondering whether a gaming router is worth an upgrade for us. Um, we are all connected by the LAN, uh, LAN cables. I ran them through the house years ago. Right. Uh, through the walls. Um, but a bunch of other devices, I guess, are running as well, Wi-Fi, tablets and and phones and different things. Yep. Yeah. So, so. It's, it's out, so the, the, I mean, you've done a great job having the land connections everywhere because that should give you the stability that you need. Strange that you're seeing dropouts first and foremost mm-hmm. um, because dropouts normally occur in kind of Wi-Fi congestion. Um, do you know when the dropouts occur? Uh, are you seeing that on the router? Like is the, is the modem from Aussie Broadband showing, you know, no light on the web or is it just something you're noticing a traffic dropout and not actually a connection dropout? Yeah, I, I don't know for sure. I've never gone into the router to look, not that <laughs> yeah, techy. Right. Um, but yeah, just so the last few weeks I've disconnected in a few racing games. Um, my wife's often complained about her, you know, just a lot of um, delay when she's trying to watch something on the phone or Netflix and different stuff. Have you thought about? Uh, have you thought about just temporarily boosting your internet speed to see whether it's literally just throughput on your connection? Um, you know, oh. you, you put Rocket League, uh, Gran Turismo and Netflix together and, you know, you'd be pumping through a fair bit of data. I mean, obviously it shouldn't uh, take up the, you know, the 50 meg that you might have. What speed have you got now? Well, I'm fibre to the node, so it's a 50-20, is it, with Aussie Broadband? That's the maximum they can give me. And that's the max you can do, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So then the other thing to do, and this is obviously a much more big trial and error kind of approach, is... You know, determine whether it's any one of the individual devices, um, you know, by, you know, sending the wife off to the movies with the kid and playing Gran Turismo and making sure that over a three-hour gaming period, is it is it consistent? Does it work well? Um, mm-hmm. Because if it's one device that's bringing the whole thing down, well, that, that's that's going to be your issue. The upgrade from, a, from everything really is then to look at a, a gaming router. And I know that's one of the things you asked me about in your email. I, I, I mean, in the end, that, that's an absolute solution. What what you can do with, say, a Netgear Nighthawk is you can go, and I specifically specifically say Netgear Nighthawk because with a standard modem router, there's plenty that will do this, but I just know the Nighthawk doesn't. You can do what we call QoS, and that's a good thing to search for if you're doing research, QoS, quality of service, which means you go into the back end, a little bit of tinkering, but it's okay. It's not rocket science. A little bit of tinkering, and you say, look, this device, my PlayStation, gets priority. This mm-hmm. device gets the next level of priority. And so you can kind of prioritize a few devices and then everything else has to contend with those getting their traffic first, which might mean, you know, emails or whatever traffic goes through slow, but your Netflix, your PlayStation and your Rocket League can be prioritized. You could, Some routers allow you to actually allocate bandwidth. So you can say, listen, I want 10 meg allocated to the PlayStation 4. Boom, just make it happen. Um, yeah. Is it going to give you an instant solution? Quite possibly, frankly, you know, a solid 
uh, router like that will will do amazing things for traffic. You know, the basic routers you get from a, a, a internet provider are not made to be anything other than just distributing traffic. Um, and with fibre to the node, I think you'll need to keep the modem and plug a router into it and then have all your LAN uh-huh. connections go into the new router because I'm pretty uh-huh. confident with fibre to the node you can't just plug a router into the network. Though, what's what's uh, what else do you have in the house other than the little modem from uh, Netgear? Is there a little black box from the NBN that has an NBN logo on it, an NTD? They call it? No, nothing at all. So yeah, we're, so, we're copper cable from Yeah, so it's just a phone line into the modem, right? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you'll still need that modem. Um, and then if you buy a router, you can put that router essentially in front of the modem to, to your house, and everything in your house connects to the new modem, um, uh-huh. not the old one. Yeah, and then mm, and then, you'll, okay. then you use that new modem to log in and do some tweaking to the network to see whether you can prioritize. And you also get traffic data and um, reports potentially on outages and things as well. So, look, given the mm. amount of gaming you do, it's probably not a bad investment. Yeah, okay. Yeah, what about... Um for instance, my house, long skinny house, it's probably 17, 18 metres to the yep. other end because yep. the routers, the current routers right at the front. Um, would that help um, with our phones and Wi-Fi? Because I feel like we're like, – is it better – does it give a better range, that router? No. Than, oh, I mean, look, it, it, it'll be it'll be better than what you're getting now. But I don't think yeah. – if, if Wi-Fi – so you, you mentioned gaming and, and having LAN connection, so I wasn't really thinking about Wi-Fi. But if you want – a better Wi-Fi solution overall, then you need to look at a mesh system as well. Now, Netgear have a Nighthawk mesh system. Um, I haven't published it yet, but Howie's got a review that he'll put up in the next couple of days, um, which is three little boxes. So one of them sits at the modem, the other one sits a third of the way down the house, and the other one sits another third of the way down the house. And then you've got this brilliant Wi-Fi across the whole home. And that will dramatically improve your Wi-Fi connection. And because it's a Nighthawk, you can still do those gaming things, which is tweaking with... Um, the the network giving quality of service. The other thing you can do with a Nighthawk router is you can you can allocate server settings. So I only want to play on on you know Grand Grand Theft. Oh no, you're playing Grand Turismo. If you're playing multiplayer, you can play servers that are only local and stuff like that. There's some pretty cool things you can do with it that tweak it up. Mm. Bit bit of backhouse you know tweaking for you, but nothing that's not hard to learn just by following the instructions and and having a bit of patience. Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. All right, buddy. Good luck. Uh, right. Enjoy the. Uh, Gran Turismo, man. I'm, I struggle to get back into Gran Turismo, I'll be honest. Um, it's one of those games I played, I reckon, on the PS3, big time. Like, you know, I did the – because you've got to get your license kind of thing. You've got to go through the steps of training and training and training. And I remember doing the Nürburgring, as in the Norse yep. Life, and learning mm-hmm. the whole track, like, because it was this segment and then the next bit. And it was amazing. But then I bought the next version of the game and I had to start all over again. And I'm like, I've already got my license. I don't want to go through this process again. Yeah. That frustrates me. Isn't it stupid? Yeah, Grand Turismo Sport's pretty good. It's not, it doesn't take a lot, long time to get up to the level where you can be racing online with people. And we've got to win a few different leagues and FIA, Nations Cup, and different stuff and get involved in. And sort of getting up there, top 100 in Australia. So trying to. Look at you. Know, you. Far out. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to even pretend to challenge myself against you. Then far out. I just like a. <laughs> I like a steer. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to actually compete because I'm, mate. As soon as how old is your, your your kid, your son? Uh, eighteen. He's eighteen. How's he going on the steer? Yeah. No, it won't play. No, obsessed with Rocket League. Was actually getting paid last year at some stage for a little, just a small amount of money what? by a crew in Sydney. So yeah, but now he's a bit more casual while he's working. So see, I gave up yeah. um, racing car games when my son beat me. <laughs> when I yeah. realised I couldn't, if I can't lap Albert Park in a Formula One car faster than my son, 
I become team manager. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, sure. Good on you, mate. Thanks for getting in touch. Good luck with the uh, networking. Cheers. Thanks, Sir Culture. Good on you, mate. And uh, if you've got a question like Stuart, just uh, jump on the website, EFTM.com, uh, and click on Ask Trev. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. You know, one of the most common things people say to me is they say, you've got the best job in the world. And I say, I'm not going to lie, it's true. I get to play with gadgets. I get gadgets sent to me to play with. I get cool cars to drive. And I work for myself and I get to choose the hours that I work. I get to have fun playing with gadgets on TV. I get to talk about them here. But then I thought about it and there's one person who has a better job than me and that I envy probably more than any other job in the world. And that is Ryan Brickman McNaught, the man who became most popular over the last few years through the Lego Masters TV show on Channel 9, but has for many years been building Lego as a Lego official certified professional, which is not some title you just get. And so with Lego Masters Series 3 about to kick off on uh, on Monday uh, as we record on Channel 9, I thought we'd get him on the show and have a chat because I could nerd out on Lego every day of the week. Brickman, g'day. Uh, thanks for the great introduction. My pleasure. Well, I mean, you must get that yourself, right? People, people must um, meet you for the first time, or just mates who just say, "Seriously, here I am slaving away, and you're building Lego." Yeah, look, it's a, it's a bit like that, to be honest. You do pinch yourself um, a little bit that we do get to play with Lego for a living. So, uh, yeah, very, very lucky, I must say. Tell me about becoming a certified professional, because that's, I mean, it's it's no small thing that's that's a massive massive deal i think there's only 14 in the world and it's really a, a, a huge rubber stamp not from lego about your brick building specifically about your brick building your nature your ability to deal with fans it's it's about the whole package isn't it yeah look it is and and it's about using lego in ways that lego themselves don't right. so how I, how I got into it was a bit like yourself, a bit of a gadget guy. I used to be an IT back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, Lego had released this thing called Mindstorms, which is like robotics for yep. kids. And it, it was kind of when they were trying to bring themselves back a bit, weren't they? Yeah, they're in the, they're in the dumps financially as a business. They were, they were pretty much in a, in a world of hurt and nearly went under a couple of times, actually. But uh, So they released this Mindstorms. And anyway, being a bit like you, a bit of a gadget kind of guy, I got my hands on one. Yep. Just to tinker with it, you know, if I can make a robot that'll get me a beer out of the fridge or something <laughs> like that, some sort of some sort of crazy gizmo. gizmo. Anyway, it turned out that the, the way you used it and the way you programmed it, you pretty much had to be a Danish mathematician to figure it out. It was it was it was crazily complex. It was, and you know, I was deep in IT in those days, and it was even difficult for me. So Apple had also just released the iPad, right. like their version one. So what I did is I wrote a piece of software that allowed you to control this Lego Mindstorms using the iPad. And so... Well, you a, were a decade and a bit before your time. That's their standard fare now with Lego. Well, that's kind of the thing, I guess, now. But uh, 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 to, to do that, a few of us, um, I guess, like-minded people from around the world, and this is this is the great thing about the internet and yeah. you know virtual communities, we pretty much had to hack into that Lego system. And so... so Basically, what we did was we broke in and broke the encryption and, and broke into their little Mindstorms thing mm. and, and wrote this piece of software that allowed us to, to do stuff on the iPad. Anyway, I got a letter from Lego, a physical letter back in those days, <laughs> as a cease and desist, um, oh. uh, telling me not to do that anymore. 
And then about a week later, I got another letter from a different division in Lego saying, this is just awesome. How do we do more stuff together? <laughs> Please tell me you have those two framed side by side. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so it's a bit like, well, you probably need to talk to each other a little bit, um, yeah. you know, and get and that kind of opened the door. And, and they sort of said, well, we, you know, how do we how do we do stuff, you know? And one thing led to another thing led to another thing, and it kind of kind of came about. It wasn't like a, I sat down and kind of planned this is what I was going to do. Right. Because your business is now Lego. Um, and let, we'll talk about Lego Masters in a minute. But the Brickman, um, the Brickman.com, uh, you know, is is a business that uh, builds Lego for, I guess, um, your own displays, um, you know, marketing events. You know, I assume you accept commissions where people, you know, want to pay to have something built if it's if it's the right job. I guess you don't build everything people want you to build, though. Uh, definitely not. No, there's a lot of, you know, just like Lego itself as a company, they have some pretty, you know, fantastic brand values, which mm. are great to align with. So we, we, we like to mirror those as best we can. But if we think of what we do, I mean, we have exhibitions, Lego exhibitions touring around the world. That's sort of one thing that we do. We make pretty much all of the Lego models for Lego. So if you go into a Lego store anywhere, you'll find uh, our, our models uh, are what's on display in those stores. Um, and then we do interesting things where we do events for Lego and the like. So we kind of, we, whilst we don't work for Lego, we do work for Lego. Yes, yeah, no, no, that makes perfect sense. The uh, the so when when we go into a Lego store, a lot of the time those models that have that have been built are yours. Yeah, definitely. So pretty much, um, certainly all of Australia, New Zealand, and, uh, and quite a little bit of Asia as well. We we tend to that sort of our area of influence where we build models. So yeah, if your chances are if you go into a store and have a look at it, you'll find you'll find it's ours. So the brick pit on Lego Masters is uh, my kid's dream, every kid's dream. What's Brickman headquarters like? Um, a wall of of containers, easily sorted, properly arranged, um, millions of bricks. I'm assuming. Yeah, look, if you're in, if you're OCD at all, it's it's pretty much heaven. It's very well categorised. We actually have um, there's twenty twenty two of us now um, uh, in, the, in the team. So uh, not all builders, you know, people have different roles. We actually yep. have one person, Tracy. She's amazing, actually. She's our inventory controller, and she looks after and makes sure that we have all of the bricks we need and that they're well organised and, and laid out for all of us. So yeah, it's quite a thing. Wow. So then, as a casual lego observer do you do you still build kits oh look i do with the kids um yeah. i you know uh, when lego i just it's exactly like when i was a small child when lego released a set i, I have a look at it i'm like how awesome is that that yeah. is just um and of course the difference is nowadays being an adult i have the financial wherewithal about to buy them not like when i was a kid when you just had to kind it's of it's a terrible terrible curse on us adults <laughs> who love lego yes, i gotta be is. honest <laughs> it is indeed so so i do get i do get I don't get all Lego sets. I yeah. probably get, you know, I get the ones that I like and they're interesting. And, you know, Lego has really developed to the adult market significantly oh. over the last, you know, and it's funny, we talk about exponential um, growth of Lego itself, but mm. for adults, 10 years ago, there was talk of adults doing Lego. Then five years ago, it was almost mainstream. Yes. And nowadays, Lego is is distinctively making a whole range of products um, around, around us as adults. Yeah. Friends, so, Star Wars architecture, creator, there's so much stuff. I mean, for me, um, it's a it's an absolute given now every year that Father's Day, birthday and Christmas, I'm getting a Lego set. It's just That's what awesome. my family does because what else are you going to buy the guy that gets every gadget in the world, right? That's now, totally. what's fascinating to me though, and the reason I ask you about the kits is because I built, um, a couple of weeks ago, I built the Lego Super Nintendo Entertainment System. I don't know if you've seen it or built it. I have. Great but set. it is 
it's phenomenal to me because it reminded me, in fact, of the um, one of the final challenges on Lego Masters where they had to build a Game Boy, and it was like you know had to be uh, size accurate and everything. And that that system is is amazing in accuracy. But it was the TV set that came with the Lego Nintendo that blew me away because I'm building it not knowing what the parts are and wondering. Yeah. And it must it must be a challenge for you to go. What are they doing here? What is this thing doing? Because I had this moment where I turned this handle and it wouldn't turn backwards, and I thought. Well, that's a bit silly. Well, I must have made a mistake, and I'll, I'll push on and I'll pull apart if I need to. Well, that was because you don't want Mario to go backwards, and and the the dial on the front of the TV. In fact, my favourite part of the whole thing was the dial on the front of the TV makes a ticking sound because behind it is a gear with a small plastic rod that f- flicks through the gears and makes the ticking sound that an old TV dial would make. And it, honestly, I looked at it and went, "That is amazing." So, do you do you look at those things and find any inspiration or ideas for? you know, how Lego can be used? The, the, the interesting thing about Lego, and it's exactly what you say, is there is... Sorry. Sorry, go on. Um, you're right. The interesting thing about Lego is is there's literally trillions and billions and infinite combinations yes. of the way Lego bricks can go together. And so if you're making something like a TV doll, there is literally so many different ways you can you can construct it. Yeah. And the joy of a Lego set is I'm learning the way in which another Lego professional, another an expert in designing Lego sets, yes. has done it. So for me, I'm just as interested as what anyone else is to see how they achieve that and how they achieve that in a way that uses minimal parts, in a way that's designed for children to put together. You know, they have a whole different set of constraints. So when I'm building a Lego set, I'm getting exactly the same enjoyment that everyone else is getting. Also, I kind of there's a bit of an appreciation level that sits on top of that. Mm. And I fast forward to Lego Masters and I believe the best thing about your role and I don't want to, you know, pee too far in your pocket here, but the best thing about your role is that you are so genuine in your emotion, your reaction. When you walk up to someone and you give them your feedback, it's it's so genuine the way you appreciate how they've done something, their idea all the constructive feedback that you give, it, it, it still must be a joy to see people build every day like that on a show that has so much pressure because it is actually a competition. Well, well, that's that's the that that's the crux of the matter. At the end of the day, it is a television show, and there are constraints. And these these contestants, what we do is we tell them to be creative mm. now, like instantly. Right, you yeah. be creative. Yeah. That's a very difficult thing to do. Normally, when we're playing Lego or whatever, we can sit down and mull around, and we can play with you know, we can. We can shoot lots of different ideas around. We can do lots of stuff. They're, they're under the pump and under pressure right from the word go. So I don't. I know I am the judge of the show, and it is my sole responsibility to to you know send people home. Unfortunately, and that mm. that's down. That's the worst part of the job by a fair way. I'll be honest. But yep. by the same token, I'm also the coach, and watching them develop and what comes out of them is absolutely incredible. Yeah. So, so taking the joy out of that—that's the best bit. How hard is it for you now, um, not being a TV guy, right, but this is now your, your third year doing this, um, it's in the can, right, it's made, it's finished, and, and you, you get to watch along with everyone else, but most importantly, you also have the pressure of, you know, keeping it to yourself, the, the fascinating things that are going to happen. That, that must be a challenge for you in, in this new role that you have as a TV guy. Yeah, look, it is. The, I mean, the world of TV is very different, as as you well know, and it's not something that I was familiar with or, or understood entirely, and I'm incredibly lucky to have a lot of great people like Hamish Blake, for example, mm. like an all production team that sits behind the scenes at Lego Masters. They're, yep. they're television experts. That's, yep. you know, 
I'm a Lego expert, they're television experts. So having people like that around me to guide me and to, to help me is amazing. And that's what I think that's what makes the show so genuine. They don't pretend to be Lego experts. They don't pretend to want to influence the Lego in any right. way. Yep. That's what I do. But what they do is is do the television stuff, and and that's what makes it work so well. Do you um do you come up with the challenges, or is that a bit of a collaborative approach? It's very much a collaborative approach. Um, obviously, um, I know what makes a great Lego challenge, but I don't know what makes for great television. Yeah. So it, it's about it's a matter of you know us working together and. To be honest with you, we've we've probably got another fifty still in the can, which we know are going to be awesome, uh, that are ready to go. Hmm. So it's not something that we've ever we're ever going to run out of. I don't think. Well, I sat down with the kids last night. My kids are spoilt uh, not just for gadgets and technology, but you know they access the things that I access. So um, they they got to watch Lego Masters, you know, a couple of days beforehand because I was previewing it. And we started last night. I won't lie, um, Brickman, I stopped it before we got to wheeling the first uh, challenges back. Um, to the judging point because I'm just no good at the no spoiler thing. So I just I just had to stop because I knew I was talking to you. I thought I can't know what happens next. Um, but what you've got from the bit that I've watched um, and from the promos is another really interesting set of contestants, you know, a very diverse set. Um, some of them appear to be, you know, couples in their own right, some of them paired together. Um, it, it's fascinating to watch new people every year. Um, is that also an exciting part of it for you? Look, it is. Uh, I mean, these contestants, and I, this is going to sound so television cliche, but this series upcoming, season three, is by far the best series, I feel. Yeah. From, from, from a pure Lego perspective, the quality of models and, and what, we, what came in the show naturally is by far and away the best. That comes because the contestants this year have had the luxury of watching the other yes, series. Yes, that's true, yep. And, you know, seeing they roughly kind of know what's expected of them. And that's always the first series. Those brave, brave people yeah. in the first series had no idea what they were in for. So so with that, you know, comes um, a learning, but also our expectations are higher too to combat that. If you've never built anything but a Lego kit out of the box, could you do Lego Masters? Asking for a friend. Uh, definitely, I think you could. It's Look, it's really interesting. If we look at teams from their very first build in the mm. first series, now you know if we go back to last year, Jackson and Alex, for example, say yes. they the the winners from series two, they they really struggled in their first couple, and it took them a while to find their mojo. Yeah, and and for them, the answer was getting back to doing things that they loved doing. That was the answer yeah. that they needed to to find. And their Lego skills, if I look at their first build versus their last build, they grew so much in that short period of time. In the pressure cooker kind of situation, they, they really responded well. So I'm going to say yes to answer your question. So I was going to ask you to sell me on Series 3, but you've already done that because you've said it's the best <laughs> ever. Um, it starts on Channel 9 next week, um, and it's one of those genuinely brilliant family shows. Uh, we, we really do watch it as a family because it's fun to watch. It's a bit of a roller coaster of emotions at times, um, and it's just creatively brilliant. And the last thing I'd say to you is the and, and a, a shameless plug for you, but I think it's brilliant. We um, we bought the Brickman's Family Challenge book um, oh. before before uh, the Christmas holidays, and it was such a great thing. So it's a it's for anyone that's got that big bag of Lego, 
we have the big bag of Lego rather than, you know, the, 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 the pieces all in, in colours and stuff, which we tried early on with the kids, but that's just crazy. Um, it's a fantastic book, mate, because uh, at any age you can go, right, let's do a challenge and challenge away, bit of fun, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you want, and, and building together as a family. Lego is a family thing. Lego Masters is a family show. It's just a, it's a great environment to be in, and I, I, I love what you do, and I, it's, it's a credit to you, the professionalism you bring to what you do. But also the the fun, um, I guess, friendly approach that you take to it, mate. I really do. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, you do have to excuse myself. I do make a appeal of myself on national television by crying a fair bit. But apart from that, I, I try my very best. So thank you're you. You're only much. human, mate. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> tipping you and I are very similar. I feel like you're the kind of guy that uh, that gets a bit emotional in movies. You know, you, it's it's an easily twigged uh, nerve. Those things, and you're you're literally making decisions on people's not their future, but their the outcomes of a very big thing for them. So. It's a very tough thing to do, and I wouldn't want to do it. And uh, I, I, I admire the fact that you do. Uh, Hamish doesn't have to make that decision, does he? No, he gets he gets the easy card. But the way I the way I kind of have rationalised it as you try and do these things is, you know, you can't do Lego wrong. There's yeah. there's no way you can make something wrong out of Lego ever. And so to tell someone, look, unfortunately, you know, your Lego master's journey is ending because of that. That's really hard. That kind of almost goes against yeah. what Lego stands for. Yeah. But but that's the that's the rules and that's that's what everybody knows and it's it's the show. So that's kind of the way that I think about it. And that's why that's why I get sad when people have invested so much time and energy into doing something, but unfortunately others have done it better. Good luck with season three. I look forward to watching every episode and um, we look forward to seeing all your amazing builds when uh, when the world gets back to fully normal and we can just have big exhibitions and lots of people enjoying Lego um, at its finest. Good on you, mate. Thanks for the chat. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. If you haven't subscribed, hit subscribe. If you haven't left a review or a rating, that would be appreciated as well. Just jump on the iTunes store. Let's go back to calls. G'day, David. Yeah, g'day, Trevor. Uh, just inquiring, I saw a product the other day. Uh, it was by Facebook, a portal TV, and then a friend of mine actually got one, and they use it for, um, you know, talking to people, you know, rather than using their TV set, uh, to talking to, you know, relatives and friends and that, and I've got, relatives over in uh, in Italy, and I just thought it uh, might be a great device for that because we sort of look at phones and iPads and it would be really good if it was on the TV and you get a proper view of it. I was just wondering what your thoughts of it was. Mate, I haven't used the one on the TV, um, I, but I've got a portal. Um, they've got yep. So they've got a, a unit you can buy which is just kind of like a tablet. It's like a Alexa. It's like a Google. It's one of those, you know, screens that you just sit on the bench. Um, yep. And yep. I gave one to my mum up because she lives five or six hours drive away. This was during the height of COVID. Um, yep. And she wasn't big on the video calling and stuff and didn't have a smartphone. And we put one in the kids' playroom and they can just, you know, it's, our, it's linked to our Facebook account and so they can just ring grandma and have a chat. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Like it's a pretty mm. cool device. For the yep. standalone screen one, it was so cool because it would follow you around the room. It would kind of zoom in and follow you no matter where you stood. The TV yep. one, as I understand it, is just as high tech in terms of its ability to, you know, isolate who's talking on the camera. But... As you say, it's on the big screen. I mean, if yeah. see, I look at it now and I think about the people that are looking at mobile phone deals that have you know lots of international calls, and I think, God, why would you ever need international calls in these days and ages with Facebook and WhatsApp and all these That's things, correct. mate? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I think it's a great system. My only bugbear about the system has been, and let me be clear, we've not used it consistently. 
is it just seems to log itself out. Um, oh, and, okay. And that yep. I'm talking after a few months, and so maybe it just logs itself out, out after inactivity. Could be the case. Right, um, yeah. But not that's not a massive drama. You've just got to click a couple of buttons and log back in on your Facebook account. Really not hard yeah, to do. Yeah, no, look, we'd be sort of using it weekly, but it's normally when we sort of do it, just sort of end up with about, you know, five or six people in the room. <laughs> Yeah. And it's really good for that. You can sort of sit in the lounge room and have people just all there and it just projects, goes overseas and it just gives a, you yeah, know. Amazing. I think it's just mate, better, can, better just it, way of communicating. Here's what you do, mate. Uh, download some bingo games and send the cards to each end. You know, you can, <laughs> there's things you can do. Because I remember during yes. COVID, we learned all these things. We were playing trivia nights and, and um, you know, get-togethers with local families that we'd normally go to the pub with. We are doing them on Zoom. Like it was, yeah, it we're was doing fun. those silly bloody face things they put on people as well, yeah. you know, the <laughs> ears and noses and all that sort of thing. And, you know, that's a, yeah. All right, that's great. No, Mate, absolutely. I, I, I think it's a cracker. I think if you're yep. you, if you're using Facebook as a communication tool and you've got two yes. people on different parts of the world or country that have Facebook Correct. and have these devices or, or not because you can just use it to call anyone on Facebook, you don't yeah. have to have a portal at the other end. You can just be calling someone on their smartphone. Very yes, cool. Yes. Great way to communicate, mate. Enjoy yeah. it. Uh-huh. Okay, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks Good a on lot. you, mate. No thanks, problems mate. at all. Um, if you've been looking at a piece of technology wondering, is that going to work? Maybe I can help you out. Uh, EFTM.com. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. I remember the first time I drove an electric car. It was a buzz. It was like, this is weird. This is something very different. And for the first time in, well, it would now be five years I've driven something very, very new, um, and it's a hydrogen fuel cell electric car, EV. I actually don't know how to describe it, and that's why my next guest will help me out. Um, and I think it's an important uh, thing to delineate. He's uh, he's in charge of all things EVs and future mobility uh, from Hyundai. Scott, how are you, mate? Very good. Mate, it, help me out first off. What do we call this? Uh, is it an EV? Yeah, it's an electric vehicle. It's a hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicle, uh, FCEV is, is, is what we classify them as. So right. think of it as an electric car, uh, yep. just that we don't store the energy in a battery. We actually have it stored as hydrogen in the tanks at the back of the vehicle. And it feeds through into a, a fuel cell stack where we have uh, purified oxygen going, it's purified air going in, and we have the hydrogen uh, meeting over the stack. There's no moving parts in that stack. There's a chemical reaction that takes place, and we, um, we create energy um, and the byproducts water. So, uh, so, it's, so for people that know an EV, you've got an electric motor um, and you've got a yeah. big battery. This just You've still got the electric motor. This, instead of a big battery, you've got the hydrogen tank and the, and the mechanisms to, cre- to create the energy on demand. That's correct. In fact, the electric motor in the, the Nexo that you're driving right now is exactly the same as the part number in the cone of electric that we have on the roads in Australia. So right. same, same thing propelling the vehicle. It's just different sources of energy. Right, so the Hyundai Nexo is a road-registered vehicle here. It is, um, it is now uh, able to be registered, but you're not selling it to, to average punters. It feels like it's a play into the corporate fleet world, and, and I think you've got an example of that down in the ACT. Yeah, and it's a long-term play. It's something we've been working on for many years now. So the vehicle is um, ADR compliant. It's the first fuel cell vehicle in Australia to meet Australian ADRs. It's been crash test and it's got crash test and it's got a five star and crash cap crash test rating, and we have deployed the first twenty cars into the ACT government uh, about two weeks ago. So let me let me understand. A lot of questions from people, and I should say, Steve's uh, Scott's at the airport, so uh, you know that's the announcement. You're heading off to do more moving and shaking in the uh, future mobility space. Um, let's let's talk about you know the questions everyday people have about this vehicle. I mean, 
safety first. Um, it's funny, I was I, I took my nine-year-old son with me to pick the car up. He was excited because it was a first. Um, and we drove away. He had so many questions. I was blown away. And one of them was safety. He talked about hydrogen. Um, I don't know what he knows about hydrogen, but anyway, how does it rank safety-wise compared to other EVs and petrol cars? Yeah, equivalent, if not safer than a normal vehicle. The hydrogen is stored under high pressure in the back of the vehicle, uh, but it is stored in three carbon fibre tanks, and the carbon fibre is about an inch thick. Uh, and to test those tanks, we go through and pressurise them. So the operation, operation pressure of the vehicle or the tanks is 10,000 PSI. Mm-hmm. Um, once the hydrogen leaves the tanks, it goes down to um, goes down from 700 bar down to um, 16 bar, and it goes past the final regulator at the rear tank. Uh, it goes down to 1.5 bar, so almost air pressure. Yep. as the hydrogen is flowing down the front of the car into the fuel cell stack. So we don't need high pressure to run the stack. We actually just have high pressure to give us the same range as a normal car. And to test those tanks, they go through extraordinary tests. So we overpressurize them to 20,000 PSI. Then we pulse test them. Then we drop them from a crane onto concrete. Um, we pick them up, put them in the fire bath under pressure, build more heat and pressure, and then we fire bullets at them. A petrol car's not passing the first test, let alone I was the just going to say, the petrol car's going to struggle with every single one of those tests, I would assume. And I think that's that's in part what you've done there is not just because it needs to be, but because you need to have that answer to that question, don't you? Because I think people's concern would be that. So inch-thick carbon fibre in itself is, is a remarkable thing. So if we talk about hydrogen as a fuel, then is it is one of the advantages the filling up of the vehicle. So how quickly do you fill a hydrogen fuel tank? Yeah, we dispense the hydrogen at minus 40 degrees and we can get about six kilos of hydrogen in a tank, whether that be our uh, Toyota, uh, sorry, the uh, Chandler Nexo or the Toyota Mirai in about three to five minutes. And so essentially that's um, one of the big things about EVs. Obviously you would, you would have had this question a million times at dinner parties, let alone proper meetings. People talk about it taking 15, 20 minutes, an hour to, to charge an EV. The difference here is you're getting the EV performance efficiency and green credentials, which we'll talk about, but you're getting that very short space fueling, which is, uh, you know, normality for people. Yeah, that's right. And that's the, the big thing. It's, it's really quick refueling uh, and the vehicles have the same range. So the vehicle's got an official WLTP figure of 666 kilometres uh, and it can be refueled very quickly. So the challenge for car manufacturers was to have the vehicle operating in the same way yeah. as a normal vehicle. So people are used to going to a service station, they're used to filling up in, in uh, five to seven minutes and you know, getting five to 600 k's out of their car. So the manufacturer's job was to have a zero emission vehicle that can do the same thing, but it's not just cars, it's the benefits of fuel cell technology and where it's going to play a big part is in heavy vehicles, rail, marine, um, you name it, everything in the future. We'd be powered by that. And the best way to describe it, and we use this with, with I suppose, with the politicians a whole lot, is everything that's petrol today will more than likely be EV in the future. Everything that's diesel today will more than likely be fuel cell in the future. When you get to kind of medium, yeah, it's, it's kind of the... Everyone wants to pick a winner between two zero-emission technologies. Yep. It's a replacement for petrol and diesel today. The heavier the mass, the um, the better it is to run a fuel cell drivetrain. And that's really the break point. And in fact, um, we see other manufacturers, say Mercedes-Benz, have a GLC F-cell in Germany where they're running a very big battery, the same as an EV, but also running a fuel cell drivetrain. So it's a hybrid of two technologies. So... Don't pick a winner between the two technologies. They're both complementary. Yep. Um, the difference we should be picking is, do we still want to keep using um, internal combustion and fossil fuels, yes. or do we want zero-emission um, drivetrains, both fuel cell and EV? 
uh, and using our renewable energy to power that, those fleets. And that's a brilliant analogy because then it, it leads you to the concept of the filling station, of which there are essentially two today, one at your headquarters and one that's just been launched in Canberra to, to suit that fleet. Um, the, the future would be hydrogen filling stations on the trucking network because the trucking network is where that's going to be required. And that process of pulling into a truck stop and hitting a Bowser slash um, you know, hydrogen pump um, is the replacement for the future of the trucking industry, surely? It is. We're working with um, members of the trucking industry, uh, especially the bus industry. I've, I've been lucky enough to attend zero emission bus conferences around the world for the last right. nearly 10 years. And everyone that was doing uh, trials of electric buses are now moving to fuel cell. Instead of carrying around seven or eight tonne of batteries in a, in a truck, you can you run a fuel cell with the, um, the, the cab itself or the truck or the drivetrain being the same weight as a conventional diesel truck, you're not losing load carrying capacity right. that you're you're wanting to charge, you know, a dollar cost per kilo to move that freight across the country. So that's where we see the big difference. But again, I'm I'm not picking a winner. I'm a massive fan of both technologies. Yes. But the um the difference is the heavier the, the heavier the mass gets, fuel cell comes into its own. And really and with a bus for example, if you're carrying around huge batteries to power a bus through its its very busy work day, the the weight also adds to wear and tear on things like tires. So the, the decreased weight of carrying around hydrogen fuel cell but having the efficiency and the green credentials of the electric power train um, is, is a massive advantage. It is. It's a huge advantage. Also, that the wear and tear on the road network and, and the bits and pieces. Right. The, benefit of hi- yeah. the benefit of hydrogen is that the more hydrogen you've got in the vehicle, the lighter it is. It's 14 times lighter than air. So <laughs> um, as, as you start using it, the vehicle becomes a tad heavier. So but not, not yeah. by much, but it, yeah. it is that, that funny analogy, not, you're not filling up with a couple of hundred litres of fuel to propel that, um, that heavy vehicle. Well, let's talk green then, because obviously EVs, a lot of people's reason to go EV is because they want to go green. Um, how does this stack up in green credentials uh, compared to, I guess, traditional motor vehicles and the diesel, um, and even compared to electric uh, battery-powered cars? Yeah, the, the benefit of, of going EV or, or going fuel cell is that we can um, manufacture the fuel from renewable sources. So when we had, 10 years ago, we had seven oil refineries in Australia. Six months ago, we had four. Uh, in the last um, Six months, we've had two of those oil refineries say they're closing. So when we had four, we we're importing about 92% of our fuel. We're only going to have two left in Australia in the next couple of months, the next six months. I don't know what that import percentage is. It's probably not very pretty. And out of two of those last refiners, one of them hasn't applied for the very generous government offer to help sustain them. So we could have one, within the next year, we could have one refinery here left in Australia, um, which is a real concern. So we're, a, we're an exporter of our energy, whether it be coal or gas, everything else. We don't import energy into our country to run our grids. We don't need to import fuel to run our transport networks. We can use our renewable energy. Um, in fact, the, during our launch in Canberra two weeks ago, our global vice president of, of fuel cell technology, um, Dr. Sainthoon Kim, said Australia's got to stop looking below its feet for its energy sources for transport and start looking at the sky and the air around it. Use what we've got, plenty of sun, plenty of wind, and plenty of space to make our fuels. And he did say that he does see... Australia is one of those countries around the world that has the potential to power the rest of the world's transport networks with its green energy, and that being hydrogen or, or ammonia. Stupid question then. How do you make hydrogen? Uh, so the, the conventional with way... Renew- is, I mean, is, you talk about renewables, and I, I often hear, um, you know, I know the New South Wales Minister for the Environment, as you do, Matt Keane, talks about renewables as an industry. So how does a renewable industry benefit and create hydrogen for the you know uh, heavy road network for example 
Yeah, the best way to do it is, and it's probably a lot of the stations I use in, right across Germany when I'm working there, is that having um, having excess renewables, so having a lot of renewables, keeping the grid going and keeping power in it, but when there's excess renewables, so at night when the wind turbines are spinning and the energy's not needed or when there's excess sun during the day but it's not needed for the networks, is having um, that soaked up by the electrolysis, so um, taking water and, and using uh, renewable energy to split the water, get the hydrogen out of it, um, is the best way to help soak up excess renewables in the grid. And we see it in, in especially northern Germany, um, up around Hamburg and Berlin and, and uh, up around those countries where there's a heap of offshore and um, onshore wind farms, is they're actually, people are paid to take the energy when it's not required. So they can be paid to make hydrogen, they can store it in gas pipelines or networks or other, other forms and then have that ready for the fleet to, as they need it. Um, so it's energy, you, you, it's a, you can store the gas. Um, we visit, a quite often we go to Germany, we take um, guests to a place just near Frankfurt, uh, which is called Mains Energy Park. Um, have a look on the website. I'd, I'd recommend your listeners to have a quick look. Um, it's a combination of Siemens and Lindy, have a massive wind farm. They're making a whole lot of hydrogen. I think it's you know, um, 10 or 20 tonne a day of hydrogen. They're putting that into the gas network uh, at 25%. So it's a lot less gas they got coming from Russia. Um, so they're lessening the reliance on gas from another country. But they've also got tube trailers there where they're filling up trucks and those trucks are delivering hydrogen to stations around Frankfurt. And we use those quite often. But the stations can be one where it's um, a hub and spoke like that, where it's made in one location and delivered. Yeah. And that's probably what we're going to see in Tasmania with the Bell Bay projects. Or it can be like in the ACT where it's actually made on site from renewable energy um, could be your flight. We're not powering massive refineries and shipping around um, oil and petrol and stuff around the country. Um, we can have it made uh, at, a, um, at a hub location or it can be made on site. And depending on what the station is, what the capacity is, what the, the space on the forecourt is as well, um, mm. that's going to determine how the um, how the hydrogen is made and how it's um, used either on the forecourt or dispensed to forecourts around that that city. So we're not we're not leading here. We've got um, three stations now. In fact, we've got ours in Sydney, which was built in 2014, and um, within two or three days apart, uh, the ACT station and Toyota station down in Melbourne was completed. Oh, right, okay. But right right now in um, Right now in Germany, there's 92 operational stations and <laughs> each of the major cities have at least two or three stations now, which is really great. It's, I remember years ago going to Germany and, and uh, having one station in the city and if something goes down or something goes wrong or there's a block on the, uh, blockage on the road or the freeway to get to it, um, you know, you kind of restrict. But now yeah. we're seeing more and more stations pop up, so it's becoming normal. The best thing about hydrogen, um, it's no longer traditional oil companies just selling you that transport fuel. Mm. You've got... Um, when you refine uh, oil, uh, the last percentage of, uh, of um, refining the barrel of oil is hydrogen. So they usually use it to clean up diesel, um, hmm. but they can now retail that. Gas companies have hydrogen as a byproduct for most gases they make, so they're now capturing it, drying hmm. it, cleaning it, and retailing it. Then you've got technology companies making it from electrolysis or selling it. So you've got big in, uh, big industry going head-to-head, -head. Yeah. so big oil and big gas now competing head-to-head -to, -head to get your money for transport fuels. Then you've got technology companies um, and governments that are going head-to-head -head with big oil and big gas wanting to sell you or retail uh, transport fuels to you as well. So from a competition perspective, I like to hope in the future that when we come up to a long weekend, like we've just come out of a couple of weeks ago, we're not going to have those, you know, those big oil company or yep. big fuel spikes uh, in the future or, you know, when it's too many people providing it, so too much competition. Yeah. Which, which leads time. me to, to well, two final questions. Cost, 
of, of a hydrogen fill? Do you, do you expect it to be much cheaper than a, than a similarly quantified diesel or petrol fill? Yeah, across across North America and Europe, where we're filling up now, we're paying dollar cost equivalent to petrol. Uh, where we're seeing multiple stations in one city, especially when there's multiple um, industries competing head to head, we're seeing the price come down from nine ninety euros a kilo down to five and six dollars a kilo. We're seeing it hover about that uh, ten to twelve dollars a kilo mark in uh, the US. We're expecting in Australia anywhere from ten to fifteen dollars. Uh, one of the things that Arena is doing as part of their funding process is they're saying enough of these small projects making you know, 20, 30, 50, you know, 50 kilos a day. Um, the last round of funding that went up was for um, 10 megawatts or more, which is about four and a half tonnes of hydrogen per day, which is where we need to get to. We need to get to scale. Yes. Um, one of the biggest concerns I've got, but once we start to get to scale, people become fixated and focus on exporting our energy to yes. overseas because we you know, I, I work for a Korean company and, and Korea's lined up for a, to take Australian green hydrogen. So is Japan and many other countries to our north. We need to look after our own transport networks first here and fortify our own fuel security with our own green renewable hydrogen. Last question, and it relates to driving the car. It's beautiful car, beautiful to drive, feels very much like an EV to drive, but there's this wisping um, uh, it sounds like gas leaking. It's a, it's a weird sound when you accelerate. Can, can you tell me what that is? What's that sound I'm hearing? Yeah, that, that, that is just gas movement coming down from the um, from the very high pressure down to very, very low pressure. Right. So it's just a, a, a pressure transfer. Very good, mate. It's a great little car. I look forward to driving it for a few days and uh, giving a f- full review at EFTM.com. Um, as always, mate, I appreciate your time and uh, you get on that plane and enjoy your week. Thanks, Jim. Have a great day. See you. You're listening to the EFTM podcast. Thank you for listening. If you've got a tech question or a question about anything that you've heard on the show, get in touch uh, anytime you like. Just go to the website, eftm.com. That's what Meryl did. G'day, Meryl. G'day, Trevor. How can I help you? What's happening? Well, uh, you recommended uh, the Chrome Chromecast. Yep. Uh, I've got an old TV and yep. I want to be able to um, connect it to the Chromecast to the TV. Yep. And uh, I've tried to connect it, but I'm not sure if uh, about the Wi-Fi. Okay. Maybe I needed to connect uh, the Wi-Fi first to the TV. I'm not sure. So you got Wi-Fi at home? You've got the MBN? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. And you've got a smartphone or a tablet? Uh, yes, I've got got an iPad. So he, it, the simple concept around the the Chromecast is this: um, you turn the TV on. And you plug the Chromecast into one of the HDMI ports. And there'd be two or three of those on your TV. Um, yes. HDMI 1, 2, 3, whatever you choose. And then you change the input of the TV to the Google Chromecast. And then it should come up with a Google kind of setup screen. Have you got to that point? Yes, I, I did. I, I've got the, um, the Google Home app on my iPad. Okay, and it's, so it's instructed you to do that on the screen. You've seen that on your TV. You've seen the big Google logo and everything, yeah? No, it didn't come up on the TV. That's the thing. Yeah, so what you want – before worrying about the setup, the app, and anything like that, I just want to make sure that you can actually see the thing. Now, before it's set up, it's just a, it's just a little – dongle that does nothing right but when you mm. when you it's got to be plugged into power so in the box there's yes. a little power cord and and then you need a hdmi it's actually there's no h there's no hdmi cord because it's actually hdmi on the end of the dongle so you need to plug yes. that into the back of the tv so plug that into the back of the tv and then turn on the power so plug that into the wall and then you need to work out which 
HDMI input. So, you know, on your TV, there'll be an inputs button. might look like a square yeah. with an arrow in it. Yeah. Press that yeah. and, and work out which HDMI port it is plugged into. Now, yeah. you'll see it on the screen because have you got any other boxes, Fet, Foxtel, Fetch, or anything else that's on your TV, or is it just your TV on its own? No. Well, oh, yes, I've got I've got a, um, oh, what's it called? Um, uh, it's a box that yeah. I can record TV okay, on, like and I've got, a, uh, I've got, yes, I've, and, and I've got a sound bar too. Okay. So both of those are plugged into your TV. Is and, and you yes. th- have you found a spare pl- plug for the for the Chromecast to plug into? Yes, it's already Great. plugged in, and yes. So yes. then, so then, the main thing is really just to flick through those inputs and find that screen, because once you find that screen, the most important aspect of it all kind of happens from then. At that point, once you see the screen, the little remote control, you can pull the battery uh, stopper out, you can get that working, and you'll go through a basic setup process. And that can involve then opening your iPad, opening the Google Home app, and then it will see the the new Chromecast and it will give you the instructions on the iPad. All right. right. But the most so important thing you need, need to, to do. To have it on, oh, oh, sorry, yes. I need to have it on the screen first before I get into Correct. the Google Home app. That's it. You want to see it on the screen. If you don't see it on the screen, then the sneaky thing to do might be unplug the PVR box that you've got and plug the, H- the Google into that so that you make sure you yes. know that that HDMI port works. But until yes. you see it on the screen, there's nothing you can do to set it up. Right. All right. Okay. So yeah, that sounds see, great. See how that goes, and then uh, let me yeah. know if you have any further problems. But I think once you see it on the screen, the setup process yeah. will be an absolute breeze. Oh, good. I'll have a go. Thank good you on very you, Meryl. much. No worries yeah, at all. Thank you. Good luck. Bye. And uh, if you've got a question like Meryl, uh, just jump on the website, EFTM.com, and we'll see if we can help you out. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. Now, the car giveaway lasts uh, six weeks, so we've still got five weeks to go. So over that period of time, there's going to be a bunch of opportunities to earn more entries in the giveaway. Now, if you haven't already entered, your first entry is free. All you've got to do is subscribe to the email. If you're already a subscriber, don't worry. You just fill in the form. It, it will resubscribe you or keep you on the list, whatever you need to do. Um, you go to EFTM.com. There's a win a car giveaway happening right up the top of the page. You can't miss it, literally. Um, it's on every single page. The EFTM logo has been replaced by an EFTM with an EFTM Hyundai driving past it. Click on that. <clears throat> Down the bottom of that page is an entry module, a company called Gleam. It's a really cool little uh, box. If you're on a mobile, it'll take you to another page. You fill in your first entry, but once you've done your first entry, you've got the opportunity to earn more entries. Uh, you'll get five points for going to our YouTube page, another five entries for going to our Instagram, another five entries for going to our Facebook. And if you haven't liked or followed those, we'd appreciate you doing so. But also, there's the ability to enter some secret codes. Now, if you're a member of the FTM Man Cave, there'll be a secret code there. Newsletter subscribers will get a secret code. There'll even be secret codes hidden in videos that I do on YouTube. And there'll also be a new thing which I'll bring to you in a few weeks, which I can't be 100% sure on right now. So we'll just wait for that to drop, but it'll, it'll be your best chance of winning the car. But as a podcast listener, you've got 15 unique chances. So podcast listeners get an extra 15 entries in the competition. Now, I'm not going to give you the full code today. I'm going to give you half the code. So you can't use it. You need to write this down or remember it. And I'm confident you'll remember it. But let's make a deal, folks, between you and me. When you get the full code next episode or the episode after, whenever I choose to do it, don't share it. Don't tell people. Don't publish it on the internet. 
that defeats the purpose of it being an exclusive additional set of entries for you, the podcast listener. Why would you give random people on the internet another 15 chances to win the car? This is your chance to get 15 more entries. Yours. And only people that listen to this show. So the first three letters of the podcast secret code are POD, P-O-D. First three letters of the podcast secret code are POD. Now, I'm not going to tell you how long or short the code is, but the second half, the next bit of the code, I'll give you in a future episode. It probably probably won't be shown next week because I'm being audited. How good's that? <clears throat> so I need to go, need to meet with the accountant and have a phone conference with the ATO. God love being audited. <clears throat> it's like jury duty, except you can't get out of it. Excuse me, um, my croaky throat. But anyway, so uh, probably the week after next, we'll have uh, the next episode of the EFTM podcast, and that'll be where I'll give you the the completion of the secret code for podcast listeners. So I won't give the first three letters again. First three letters, pod, P-O-D, first three letters. Um, The second part of the code I will give you in a future episode. So write that down or remember it, easy to remember. And as I said, don't share it. You're just just depriving yourself of a better chance of winning. Thank you for listening. Thank you to uh, Ryan McNaught, Brickman from Lego Masters for coming on the show and to Scott Nagar from Hyundai for talking hydrogen cars. Very informative, very interesting. And uh, we'll do it all again real soon here on the EFTM Podcast.